looking at this verse for the last couple weeks, Habakkuk chapter 2, just to keep you in reminder, all of our verses, our sermon notes are in version, uh, the Bible app, if you have an iPad, an iPhone, or uh, you know any other kind of device that you can get that app on, and you can follow along right with our message from there, um, as well as you know if you have your Bibles, um, that's great. Uh, we always value the Word of God, but we want to make things easy for you as well. And Habakkuk chapter two, verse two says, "Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he who may run, that he may run, who reads it." See, the vision is not just laid out to identify this is what we're doing. The vision is laid out to identify this is what we're doing. Now come hook up and be a part of what we're doing. That's what a vision is. A vision, when God gives a vision, it's never just to show this is what I want to do. This is, he's not just trying to say this is what I'm trying to accomplish. He's saying this is what it is. I'm making it clear for you so now you can hook up and get to be a part of it. And so we're taking this month to outline and lay out our vision clearly. We've been here two years now, almost two years. Lay, that, lay out that vision clearly so that you, as you read it and hear what's being stated, can now grab a hold and say, all right, now let me do my part. Let me hook up and let me get in there and let me contribute to what God is wanting to do in Valdosta, to what God is wanting to do in, in San Augustine. And don't ever sell yourself short. Don't ever think, oh, I wish I could go and be a part of that. And we'll have opportunities to physically go and do those things. But when you give financially, when you give of your time, when, when you're serving here in Valdosta, the whole team wins. The Bible says that when one rejoices, they all rejoice. When, when one is suffering, they all suffer. So we're in this thing together. And so you were a part of those wins that you saw in that video that took place in Puerto Rico. A couple, week, uh, a couple weeks ago when we showed uh, the Nicaragua video, you were a part of that. Because when you hook up with this vision to partner with the vision, you're not just partnering with what's being done here on Sunday mornings between 1030 and 12. You're partnering with what's being done around the globe, anything that this church has a part to play in. St. Augustine has a part in what's going on here. Puerto Rico has a part in what's going on here. And so we've got to understand that this vision is huge. This vision is big. Look at verse 3 there, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. The vision is always for something that has not happened yet. And we opened up with this a couple weeks ago. There's a difference between sight and vision. It's a difference between sight and vision. And look, everything we're saying about vision, this isn't just for this church. This applies to your life. If God has given you a vision of your life, it's probably contrary to what you're currently seeing. Sight is as far as you can physically, naturally see. And most people... Most people walk through this life, live and die, only ever operating by their sight. But God never, never told us to operate or live by sight. He told us to live by vision. And what is vision? Vision sees beyond sight. When God gives you a vision, it's for something that you don't currently see. So if we are only going by sight, based upon what we see today, that's not big enough. Because what God has and what God wants to do is bigger and greater than where we're at today. And I'm speaking for this ministry as a whole. I'm talking about your life. You may have a great life. You may be right where you think you want to be, but God's got a vision for your life, and that's something to always be striving for. Paul said at the end of his life, I press toward the goal. He didn't say, I've been pressing and now I'm done. He didn't say, I have pressed and I'm tired. He said, I am pressing toward the goal. He made that statement at the end of his life. He made that statement when he knew, I'm about to end my part and my assignment here on earth. But I'm still pressing, pressing toward the goal. The vision always keeps you pressing. 
Most people don't press in life because they have no vision. They're only moved by sight. They're only moved by their current financial status, their current job, their current sphere of influence, and they're never striving or pressing toward anything. But God wants his church to always be pressing onward towards something, to be trying to grab a hold of something that isn't yet tangible. And that operates by faith. That works by faith. So this church, this vision that God has given us, we're now, as a whole, having started in 2004 in April, next year is 2014. Next April will be 10 years, and we're still striving. 10 years, and we're still pushing. 10 years, and we're still reaching. 10 years, and we still have a vision that isn't currently being seen. And I've told you, nine and a half years ago, when I moved to St. Augustine, the vision looked massive at that time. In a middle school building, don't even have our own piece of property, with 17 people doing setup and teardown every service, getting there two hours before service, staying about another hour and a half after for every Sunday and every Wednesday, igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world seemed massive. And now today we're seeing a part of that plan. Now we are igniting the city in St. Augustine, Florida. We're igniting the city in Valdosta, Georgia. We're igniting the city in Puerto Rico and different places of the Caribbean. We're impacting nations. We're impacting the United States. We're impacting the nation of Nicaragua. We're influencing the world. But we're not done. Because vision always keeps us reaching for more. So we know there's more. We know there's something else to grab a hold of. We know there's something else to go after. We know there's something else to press after. And so then last week we talked about the the contribution that we make to the vision. Because every time God gave a vision, he may have handed the vision to one person, but he was always looking for people to get assigned and hooked up to that vision. He didn't build the tabernacle in the wilderness by himself. Moses didn't build it by himself, although he was the one that was given the vision. No, God told Moses, now take up an offering and have people contribute to the vision that needs to take place. He did the same thing with Solomon. And then we find out that the temple of God is no longer in brick or mortar. It's no longer stone and concrete. It's now human beings, our lives. And this vision, he's calling to get people to come alongside to help bring up more people. We're going to change the world. I don't know if you know that yet, but we're going to change the world. And if you only are going by sight, well, there's only a handful of people in here. You're only in a 2,000 square foot unit. You only have this large of a monthly budget. But God is going based upon vision, not based upon where we're at today. See, we've got to quit living day to day just thinking our vision is only as big as what we see. God wants us individually to get outside of that. God's got a vision for your personal life. He's got a vision for your kids. He's got a vision for your finances. He's got a vision for your job and for your career. That's beyond what you currently see today. And God never, get this, God never speaks to you based upon who you are. He always speaks to you based upon what you will be, who you are on the inside, what your potential is, what your capacity is. When he looked at Abraham and called him a father of many nations, he was talking to a 75-year-old man who had a wife that was barren, and she was 65. Tell me what part of that plan naturally works out to becoming a father of many nations. But God wasn't talking to Abraham based upon who he was and who he is. He's talking to him based upon a vision. He said, you're a father of many nations. And everything right now naturally may may be directly contrary, may be uh, in direct conflict to what you see and to what I'm telling you. But I've got a vision for your life. And if you trust in me, if you have faith in me, and if you obey me, you'll see that vision come to pass, and he did. And he was tested. His faith was put to the test. 
He was tested. He was tried. He was pushed to the limits. But he obeyed God at his word. He trusted and stood on his word. And it was accounted to him as righteousness, Romans says. That's how you get vision to come to pass in your life, is staying true to his word. Because if you get moved by what you see, then you'll never, move, you'll never be moved by what God says. We've got to be a people. If we're going to see the vision of this church come to pass, if you're going to see the vision come to pass in your life, you've got to learn to be moved only by what is said and not by what is seen. And you'll find that those two things will always be at conflict. God wants to do this with your finances, but this is what your finances look like today. God wants to do this with your marriage, but this is what your marriage looks like today. God wants to do this with your kids, but this is what your kids look like today. But we've got to be moved by what he says because his word is true. What did that say in verse 3? Pop that back up there. At the end, it will speak and it will not lie. I don't know about you, but when I get to the end, I want to see the vision of God speak in my life. And it will not lie. Though it tarries, <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God's vision is the most sustainable thing you could ever get your life founded on. In the end, it will speak, and it will not lie. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. I've got, I'm putting you guys to the test here. We've got Habakkuk and Zechariah. Those aren't two of the most common books we turn to on a regular basis. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, they're in there, I promise. They're the ones that you think have been ripped out because you're only like one or two pages, and you flip past it. It's like, I don't have that one in my Bible. I don't, someone messed me up. It's in there. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Read the beginning of that again. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Most people don't rejoice until they see the work end. <laughs> Why does God rejoice when the work begins? Why does all of heaven throw a party when one person comes into the kingdom? Why does God get so excited when you get started in a walk for him? The title of my message today is, the vision in the sea. And where we're going today is specifically for this church. We've been talking about the vision of Anchor Faith Church as a whole, but today I want to get specific because today is Vision Sunday. And the third Sunday of every month will be an opportunity for you to give specifically towards the vision, above and beyond your tithe and offering will collect a specific offering that will go specifically towards the vision of this church. What does that mean? That means giving towards something we don't see yet. That means collecting financially to be in a position that when we do see it, we're ready to act. I'm talking about property. I'm talking about build, buildings. I'm talking about trips. I'm talking about influence in the world, igniting the city, impacting the nation. Anything that comes up vision-wise, I don't want to be waiting on hold I want to be able to say, all right, God, what's next? Because if I'm only collecting for what I see today, and I know exactly how much we need to collect every month to keep this thing going. I know that. I have that number. But God doesn't want me operating based on that number. He wants me to operate on something that's far bigger and greater than that because his vision requires it. He's got something in store for us that maybe we don't see today. And I'll tell you right now, I see more than anybody in this room. As the head of this and, and the pastor of this vision specifically in this church here, I'm getting the vision, and I know it's already greater than where we're at, but there's still capacities that I don't even know we'll reach yet. But it's there. 
And so the third Sunday of every month is an opportunity for you to give towards the vision of the church. And don't worry, I got new offering envelopes made that have it on there, vision giving. You have a specific place to give. They're brand new and we're ready to break them out today. Amen. Throw that verse back up there, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. God always starts something great with something small. God always gives you something small with a great vision behind it. God doesn't give anybody something great right off because he wants to know if you can handle the great. God wants to know if you can take care of the big thing, so he starts you out with a small thing. And what he does is he puts you in steps to access the vision over time. So he says here, do not despise these small beginnings. You've heard us say before, uh, when we talk about the church, we don't ever say, oh, we're just a small church. We don't ever say that. Because nothing that God does is small. Because when God does something even in the smallest form, he's already got the great form in mind. You have to get this. This is the key to some of your lives. This is the key to why we haven't been growing and expanding just individually speaking. It's because we have taken the small thing that God has given us and we've treated it as a small thing. And what God wants to do is he wants us to, he wants to give us a small seed, but he wants us to see the small seed the way he sees the small seed. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the way I look at a seed and the way Brent looks at a seed are two different things. Because he's a farmer. Van Murphy's a farmer. Mike Biles over here is a farmer. They look at seeds way different than I do. If it's not a sunflower seed, I throw it out. It's no good to me. I can't do anything with that. But they don't see a seed. They see cotton fields. They see pecan orchards. Where I come from, we say pecan. I've had to twist. That's all right. I can repent. I can change my thinking and my talking. I'll require it of you. You can require it of me. That's all right. But out in Texas, we don't say pecan. We say pecans. So I have to adjust that. But that's what they see inside that little seed. And they don't just see one piece of cotton or one pecan. I get it. I get it. They don't see just one. They see orchards full because they know that that one seed has the capacity and the potential to produce an entire field. See, they've already got God's kind of thinking, and now we've got to get that. We've got to get that. Because we see seeds as just a little seed, and that doesn't meet my need today. That doesn't have what I need for it today. That, that seed can't reach the city of Valdosta today. That, that seed can't ignite the city, impact the nation, influence the world. What, what is that? I, I need a field. I need an orchard. I need acres. This ain't going to do anything, but that's not what God sees. God sees the potential. But here's the thing. If you don't take care of the seed, you won't take care of the tree. If you don't take care of the seed, you won't take care of a crop. If we're going to see the vision come to pass personally, corporately as a church, we've got to learn how to manage the seed properly because mismanagement of the seed will ruin the entire crop. Mismanagement of one seed will, will ruin the entire orchard. We've got to learn to value exactly what God gives us and not always be hoping for more. Well, God, when we get 100 people, we'll do more. God, when, when, when we have a 10,000 square foot building, then we'll be able to do more stuff. God, when you give us, in five, when you give us five states, well, we, then we can impact the nation. 
not what God's asking for. God's given us a seed, and now he's wants to, now he wants to know, what are you going to do with the seed? Because if you won't handle the 50, you won't handle 5,000. If you won't handle one state, you won't handle 10 of them. This is what God's wanting to say today. The vision is in the seed. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11 says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. Now, we're only in day three, I believe. We're in day three. We know that there's still three more days of creation after this. But in day three, God put everything in the trees so they they could do what? Bear fruit. And what's the point of bearing fruit? So that it can multiply and expand. And I'm going to tell you right now, God is a multiplication God. Everything in your life, he wants to multiply it. He wants to multiply you financially. He wants to multiply your influence. He wants to multiply your your marriage and your kids. I'm not just talking natural. I'm talking he wants to multiply love in you. He wants to multiply peace. He doesn't just put one level of it. He wants that level to go in, and then he wants it to multiply to where not only are you feeling at peace, but now you're the peacemaker. Now you walk into rooms and you take peace everywhere with you. You take love everywhere. Why? Because it's fruit of the Spirit. And fruit is meant to multiply and be fruitful and give of its kind. So not only do you have to be loved, but you can show love. God is a multiplication God. But there's a problem here. Because three days later, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God makes another creation. Then God blessed them, man, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, I thought the trees and and all that had the ability to do all the fruitfulness and multiplying. Why does man have to do it? Because once again, God has required your cooperation and contribution to his vision and his plan. And so now it's up to man to tend the fields, take care of the garden, make sure that these things are being fruitful and multiplying. So God being a multiplication God starts out with one and then expects us to help him Do the multiplying, putting our hand to the plow, putting our hand to the work so that the crop can now produce what what it's supposed to produce. See, sometimes we think that God does things without using us and he's just operating outside of us, but that's just not the case. God needs you and God wants you to help fulfill his purpose and his vision and his plan. You realize you're important to God's plan, not just for your life, but for this earth? That without you, he can't accomplish anything? Do you realize that? That's how important we are. And so we see here that we have been given the command to be fruitful and multiply. Now, you can't take care of the fruit until you take care of the seed. 
And I'll just go ahead and tell you, there's a reason why they call starting new churches church planting. (laughs) And this church today is in seed form. You have to understand this. This church today is a seed. And there are people that want this church to start bearing fruit right now. We want this church to be fruitful. And so you start taking care of it as if it were fruit. You start taking care of it as if you're trying to give something away. But when you have a seed, you are more concerned with investing in it than any investment coming out of it. When you have a seed, you're not concerned just yet with it giving something away. You are more concerned and more focused with investing something into it. Is it in the right soil? Is it getting the water and nutrients? Is it getting enough sunlight? Is it getting the things that are necessary so that it can grow and that it can one day produce fruit? Now, I'm not saying we won't produce fruit, and we already have produced fruit. I believe that in this city. We're already making a difference. Our name is already out there. People already are starting to identify people as people from Anchor Faith Church. And that will happen. But I'm going to tell you right now that at the stage that we're at, I am more concerned with the investment going into this seed than I am with the fruit that's coming out of it. Because if I don't handle properly this church, and if we don't as a whole handle this church properly as a seed form, then we won't ever be at a point to where we're mature enough and developed enough to one day bear fruit. So as a seed, there is proper investment that has to be made in the church. I get people from other organizations and ministries, and I'm obedient to the Holy Spirit on everything. Not to an urge and not to a call and and, and not to, you know, a, a guilt trip. But I have people of other organizations and other, other ministries that want us to help contribute. And if God says, yeah, you can, I want you to help there. You can put your focus there. Then we will. But I know where this church is at right now. And individually, we can be bearing fruit. And individually, we can be helping. But right now, our focus is on growing the seed that's in the ground. Right now, our focus is making investment here. And that's why I've been very careful to who comes up here. Because just as any of these farmers will tell you, you don't just let anything in your field. You don't just let anything on top of your seed. Then let someone up here that I don't even know, I don't even know who they are from Adam, I don't know what they have to say to our congregation, come up here and spill a bunch of poison and I have to come and I have to clean all that up. We got to manage the seed. If there's something that as this thing begins to grow that needs to be cut off or separated, it will take place. That is the responsibility that we have to identify those things. I was talking with Brent this morning and I asked him a few facts. And I said, from the time that you put a pecan tree in the ground, how long until you get your first pecan. He said three years. He said you'll probably about three to five years you'll have your first nut come off of it. Three years. But then he told me this interesting fact because this is this is what we all want. We all want the profit. We all want to make some money off of this thing. We all want to get something back. But he said It'll be about 10 years before you make a profit off of a pecan grove. 10 years.
But that seed, in its earliest form, see, that's why God had to put this verse in here. Do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise what that seed is capable of. Do not despise what that seed can produce for you. But if you won't take care of the seed, you won't take care of the crop. If you won't take care of something in its smallest state, then you will not take care of something in its larger state. Matthew chapter 25 tells you all about that. You got the parable of the talents. You got three men that are each given. One's given one talent. One's given two talents. One given five talents. And the one with five went out and he doubled his and came back to the master and said, I've got your five, now here's ten. The other one took his two, doubled it, made four, went back to the master. I took your two, now I've got four. And then we've got one that just ended up with one in its smallest form. And he buried it in the ground, produced nothing. And went back to the master and said, here's your one. And the master was upset with him. Because the master, God, is a multiplication God. His command was be fruitful and multiply, not watch over and, and make sure it doesn't die. There are some churches that are like that today. I went to a few of them growing up that were just literally being watched over until they died. They had no expansion mindset had no vision mindset, had no we're going to reach the world mindset. Just We're just watching over this thing. No, God is a be fruitful and multiply God. That's what he wants, and that's what he wants from his people. That's what he wants from his church, the body of Christ. But to be fruitful, we've got to take care of the seed that contains the power to produce fruit. Jesus followed, or God followed his own plan in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God waited, wasted no time in getting his plan to get man back in their right relationship. This is immediately after Adam and Eve have sinned and eaten of the fruit. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's speaking of his son, Jesus. But he realized something. If I'm going to do something great with something that's going to produce fruit, I have first got to plant a seed. I have first got to put the thing in the earth in its smallest state before I get something great out of it. Even God knows. I've got to plant a seed in the ground if I'm going to produce anything out of that. He has to follow his own law. And yes, it's a law. Genesis chapter 8 verse 22 says that he put into law seed time and harvest. It's law. You want to reap a financial harvest? You got to plant a financial seed. You want to reap a, a harvest of love in your life? You've got to plant a seed of love towards somebody. Simple. Seed time and harvest. God's vision is the same way. Here is a vision in seed form. In a small state. But on the inside of it, something great. On the inside of it is something that can produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. Look at this. Follow this pattern real quick. Just throw these verses up on the screen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. We're talking about Noah here. He tells Noah, look. I'm going to send rain on the earth, and I need you to obey my word and build an ark, and I'm going to save you and your family. Eight of them told Three sons, 
three wives, Noah and his wife, eight people. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Big whoop. He wipes out the entire face of the planet with water, saves eight people. What's the big idea? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Vision is not yet seen. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he contempted the world and became heir and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah operated by faith to do something based upon something he had not seen. God didn't build the ark. God had a vision. The vision was not to wipe out the face of the planet. The vision was not just to have someone build some silly ark. That was not the vision. Go back to Genesis 3.15. The vision was to plant a seed in the ground that would one day bring back man into right standing with him. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, a few, eight souls were saved through water. Verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not through the filth of us, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God knew I've got to bring my son into the earth. And he started with a man named Noah. A lot of times we go back to Abraham. But Noah was Adam and Eve all over again. If you go back and read Genesis chapter 8, 9, and 10, you'll find that he gives Noah the same command he gave Adam. Be fruitful and multiply Take care of the earth. Fill it and subdue it. Same exact thing. He started with Noah and eight people in a boat that obeyed him at his word, that had a seed in the ground. God, why are you doing this? Why are you wiping everyone off the face of the planet? Why are you uh, saving these eight men? He did it so one day he could bring about the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's vision in its small state. Now being made great in the result. Do not despise the day of small beginning. Because inside the small beginning is a great end. God wants us to begin to look at small things differently. Even in your own life, he's wanting you to see the small things in your life differently. The small area of influence you might have today, the, the small career path you might be on, the, the, the small children that you have, the small marriage that you have, the small financial uh, uh, status that you have. He's wanting to look at those, want you to look at those things and see them as greater than what they are. He's wanting us to look at this church. And even though in a small state, naturally speaking, he's wanting us to see the great end result. So I'm telling you this morning, do not despise small beginnings. I know that there are people that, you know, sometimes may come and visit and 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 and. and see us at the state that we're at. We, it happened in St. Augustine. They come in, they come into middle school, and they say, well, you know, I'll come see you when you're at this size or you're doing this, like we haven't proven ourselves yet. And God is saying, do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise a small building. 
a small location, a small congregation. Because all he needs is one person to get started. And the more that come alongside that and run with the vision, become a help, become an asset to the ministry, to the vision, to what God is wanting to do, that's when this thing grows. That's when influence grows. And that's when one day we're mature enough and large enough to bear fruit in this city. I've already had opportunities myself personally to go before the mayor and the council and pray before their meeting several times. This year I've probably already done it half a dozen times. That's influence. But God wants this thing to grow. Do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise a status that we're currently at, what we see today, because God has such a bigger picture. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. There is a killer of vision, and we have to be cautious of it. There is a vision killer out there. And I've seen it happen over and over and over. I've seen it happen to churches that were two years old. I've seen it happen to churches that were 35 years old. Because it can happen at any time. It doesn't just happen in the beginning. It doesn't just happen at the end. It doesn't just happen, you know, halfway in the middle. It doesn't happen, you know, at the five-year mark or the ten-year mark. It can happen any time. There is a vision killer out there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. This is not talking about money. It works with money, but this isn't talking about money. I came out of that era in the 90s where it was just name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, you know, and this was one of the favorite verses, man. Man, if you sow $100, you're going to get $100. I mean, it's just, you know, it's that easy. But whatever you sow, that you will also reap. Something has to be placed in the ground. Even Jesus knew this. He said, unless a piece of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bear anything. He was talking about himself. He said, my father, God, has planted me, the seed, in the ground. Because unless he gets rid of me, puts me on the cross to die for all of mankind, then he can't get sons. See, he gave one son of God. But then when Jesus rose up out of that grave, came up out of the ground, now he's been given many sons and daughters. But you cannot reap until you sow. Verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit everlasting life. See, we can do all the natural stuff all day long. But until we sow to the Spirit, we're not going to reap anything back of the Spirit. I can do all the natural stuff that all the churches are doing these days. But unless we are sowing to the spirit of the man, then I'm not going to reap back a spiritual person. So there's two ways you can sow. But look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I'm going to read it again. Let us not grow weary weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart weariness is a vision killer 
Weariness is a crop killer. It will destroy the vision God has for your life. Do not become weary while doing good, for in due season. You know that there's a certain type of season where the harvest comes in, and there's a certain type of season where the planting's taking place? And if you get the wrong seasons mixed up, you're going to get real wore out. If you're expecting to produce a result when you're supposed to be investing in the thing that's going to produce the result, you will get weary because you won't see anything. Told y'all a couple weeks ago that our property manager came by the building. We were just, we were just talking, just came by here. We're getting ready to enter our third year with them. And, uh, and, and he told me, he said, you know, churches is probably the number one phone call I get for a commercial property. Everyone wants to start a church. Everyone wants to look for a building to put a church in. But he said, most of them don't count the cost. I said, yes, sir, I understand that because there's a lot of costs involved, not, not financially. There's a lot of financial costs. You know, it's, it's a catch-22 when you're starting a church because you, you want to be to a certain level aesthetically that people will come in, but you need the people to get you to that level. We're doing something that not a lot of churches do at the age range that we're in, and that's being in a fixed location. Most of them start in schools or lease out conference centers. You know, Pastor Brian and Cheyenne, they started in the conference center right here in Valdosta, right there at the rainwater. They do that because to have your own building and your own sound system and your own instruments and your own chairs, I mean, you got to think about these things. And so we're doing something that's kind of a, you know, it's a little different. But he said, you know, I, I get phone calls all the time. People that want to start churches and they want property. This one is the longest one that I have seen with my company last. And we've only been here two years. Weariness. And in the short two years, there's been plenty of opportunity to grow weary. Plenty. I'm not the only one that's felt it. But I'm strengthened. I'm strengthened by the fact that there's a season where the harvest is coming. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous. The fields are white. We just got to bring them in. Amen? We're going to reach this city. We're going to impact this nation. We're going to influence the world. Period. And I'm excited and honored that you're a part of that, that you're hooked up to that. But don't be surprised when weariness tries to set in. I remember several years ago, uh, Pastor Earl took us when I was down in St. Augustine, took our staff to a, a district regional uh, meeting for the church that we're affiliated out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rama. And so you got all these pastors, and most of them, you know, they've been in ministry probably 20, 25, 30 years on up. And just weary, just tired. You just see it. At that time, the economy was at its lowest. And you know how it is, uh, you know, with people, if, if you have a business where, you know, they don't have to pay for it. You know, you stop taking care of the pool and you stop, you know, get rid of the pets and you're doing all the things that, don't, that you don't have to have. You start counting those things and for some reason the church is one of those things when that ought to be the most important thing. That ought to be, I'll pay my tithe and offering before I miss a mortgage or, you know, before I miss a mortgage payment. But, you know, these different things are going on in 2007, 2008. 
and just men that were tired. You know, and at this time, we're about, you know, three, four years, maybe about five years. And we're just excited, excited about what God is doing. And we had already had some trials. We've already had some tribulations. But we had made a choice not to grow weary while doing good. And Paul wouldn't tell me that if it wasn't possible. Because Paul, more than probably anybody else on the face of this planet besides Jesus himself, had the greatest opportunity to grow weary. Go read his resume in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I would have quit after the first line. And he goes, he's talking about being shipwrecked, being left naked. I haven't been left naked nowhere. I've had my clothes on the whole time. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never been left for dead. I've never been dead. Paul could literally say, I've actually died, and I've come back and still doing this. I mean, quite the resume, quite the opportunity to grow weary while doing good. And he says, do not grow weary. And I'll tell you why they grow weary. A loss of vision. It's a vision problem. I didn't say a sight problem. I said a vision problem. Because you can always see where you're at. You can always see what's in the bank. You can always see what your marriage actually looks like. You can always see how your kids are responding. You can always see uh, what your career and job field is. But it's vision that keeps you striving forward. It's vision that keeps you from getting tired. And here's the problem. If you only see the seed, you will never see the vision. If you only see the seed in your hand, in its small, simple, vulnerable state, you will never see the capacity and the potential that it contains. This is why we're casting vision. Because I know it can grow tired, you can grow weary by only seeing the seed because that's what we are today. And we're making investment in the seed. We're watering this thing. We're planting this thing. Paul said, I plant it. Apollos came in and he watered. And God gave the increase. Another pastor planted. We're here watering. And then buds will start to show up. Something will begin to break through the ground here in Valdosta. People will start to recognize, whoa, there's something growing over there. Something's been planted there. There's a seed there that's being produced. I wonder if one day I'll be able to pick the fruit off of that vine. I wonder because the fruit is not for the tree. The fruit is for another person. And people that are homeless, people that are dying and hurting, people that are sick, people that have lost jobs, people that have broken marriages, people that have no hope and no, no uh, absolutes in life, people that don't know how to get their kids back under uh, uh, control, people that are suffering with addictions, people that are on the brink of losing everything will begin to pick the fruit off the tree because we have properly managed the Seed in the ground. This thing is planted. This thing is here. And we're not digging it up and pulling it out. This thing is staying. And we're going to water it. We're going to make sure it gets the right ingredients. We're going to make sure the word is going forth so that we're maturing and we're growing and we're developing so that the vision that's inside this tiny seed will be able to grow. So that this vision will come out, and then everybody will see it. They'll drive by, and they'll see that tree. 
they'll come in and they'll pick fruit off of our vines and off the branches because we'll have something to give away. Do not despise small beginnings. This vision is great. This vision is bigger than me. The vision for this ministry was bigger than Earl Glisson. But it requires every single one of us. The vision is bigger than Arnell and Vanessa Centron in Puerto Rico. The vision is greater than Uncle Frank in Nicaragua. It's greater than any individual that's in any kind of position because it requires people that come alongside to contribute to the seed to help it grow and become a tree that will now bear fruit and feed people that are lost and dying and hurting. That's how it works. That's how it works. Somebody asked me one time, they said, I bet you want your, I bet you want your son to grow up and be a pastor just like you. I said, I don't want him to be a pastor unless God has called him to. Because I wouldn't wish this on anybody that isn't anointed and has the call to do it. And I love it, but it's only because I've been called. I love it, and I have a passion for it. And I don't just wake up in the morning thinking about Anchor Faith Church because I'm the pastor and it's paying the bills. I wake up in the morning thinking about Anchor Faith Church because I think about the lost and dying and hurting people that are going to come to know Christ, come into his kingdom, learn to live according to a different system than the lousy system this world has to offer. This government's helping nobody. This health is helping nobody. This economy's helping nobody. But I serve a king from another world, from another kingdom, that has a system, a healthcare system that will answer any sickness I have. An economical system that will answer any financial struggle I ever have. His government is right standing. And if I stand in right standing with his government, it will back me up every time. It's better than welfare. Rather than a government that helps people that break the government system and hurts people that are doing it right. God knows exactly which ones are doing it right and which ones are doing wrong. And the ones that are doing it right, he is going to bring his help to them. The ones that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right standing with the governing authority. Those will not have to worry about anything. Won't have to be anxious about anything. I serve a government where I'm always at complete peace because my king has everything taken care of. And I want other people to know about this government. I don't want people just to know about heaven. I want to know people to I want people to know about the kingdom of God. I saw this this morning. Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You and I are made of the earth. The kingdom of God, his will in heaven should be happening in our lives. You and I are kingdom carriers. I put a thing on our Facebook page just this past weekend. It said, it doesn't matter what job you're going to today, realize and understand that you have the greatest assignment on the face of the planet, and that is to bring heaven to earth. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're bagging groceries at Publix or you're the CEO of a company. You have the greatest assignment because you get to bring heaven to earth. That's our assignment. That's our purpose. That's what church is supposed to be about. And that's why this church is here. That's why I'm passionate about this vision. 
I'm not excited that, you know, I know Jesus and one day I'm going to get to go to heaven and be with him forever. I'm excited that I have the opportunity to get someone out of hell and get them in the kingdom just like I'm in the kingdom. I got the opportunity to set people free from addictions that are binding them and controlling them. I have the opportunity to get people into financial peace. I have the opportunity to get marriages back mended together. Not because of who I am, but because who is working inside of me. And because the kingdom of heaven is in me, Jesus said. And when you realize that they're not going to get the kingdom of heaven without you, that they're not just going to magically know about Jesus? They're not just, I think I want to get saved today. No. The kingdom is in you. So every time that person at work complains about that neck that just soared and they won't ever get, you know, I've got a kingdom answer for that. I bet you're on medication. I bet you've sought some doctors. I bet they have prescribed uh, some some uh, therapy for that. I bet, they, I bet they told you you need surgery. But guess what? In the kingdom that I live in, I'm not limited by any of those things. Not that God can't use those things, but I could pray with you right now. Why? Because the will of God in heaven is healing, not sickness. And so now we get to bring the will of God in heaven to the earth. Because I'm a kingdom carrier. And I want to raise up a church of kingdom carriers. I want to raise up more and more people. Every one of these chairs that are empty could be someone that lives next door to somebody else or works with somebody or uh, has employees or coworkers or friends or people that are lost and dying. And this one can go to their place and this one can go to their place. This one can go to their place and make influence for the kingdom of God. The point of filling up this chair is so they can get back out through that door and be the church. That's why this chair needs to be full, and this chair needs to be full, and this chair. And that's why we need 10,000 square feet, and 40,000 square feet, and 100,000 square feet. It's not about having a bigger building and just something that just looks awesome. It's about filling up chairs that can now carry the kingdom everywhere they go. That's why we want to be in Georgia, in Florida, in Texas, in California, in New York, and all across the United States. That's more kingdom carriers that are going in the world. That's why we want to be in Nicaragua, in Guatemala, in Puerto Rico. And that's why we want to be all throughout Central America because that's more kingdom carriers that are going throughout the world, igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world. That's why we're here. That's the vision of this church. And it requires all of us. Father, we thank you today for your word. You said that the vision in the end, that it will speak to us. And it will not lie. I thank you, Father, that your vision, as we stand on that vision, press toward that vision, Go after that vision. Father, I thank you that we will see that vision come to pass, not only in this church corporately, but in our lives individually. Father, you want us to be more concerned about the corporate well-being than even our individual because you said if you'll take care of the whole, I'll take care of the part. You said if you put my kingdom, make it first priority, I'll take care of your stuff. Adam and Eve, they weren't walking around wondering what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, where are they going to live, what are they going to wear. They weren't concerned with those things. They were concerned with taking care of your things, and you took care of them. Father, the things that we go through life worrying about and thinking about and being concerned with, you want us more concerned with the corporate well-being of something than the individual. And I thank you, Father, as people continue to partner with this vision. I thank you for those that have partnered, have contributed, are contributing. Father, I thank you that for those that are hooked up, but I thank you for those that you're pressing upon their heart right now to hook up with us. Those that are here and those that aren't here. We've got people moving from other states to hook up with the vision in this city. And Father, I thank you as people begin to give their whole self 
to the corporate vision of this ministry. You place us in the body as it pleases you. You have a specific fit. You have a specific design for our lives. Father, I I thank you as we make that first priority. You will take care of everything else. We'll see finances get in order. We'll see marriages get in order. We'll see our families get in order. We'll see uh, uh, jobs and career opportunities open up. We'll see our sphere of influence begin to open up. Not because we've been focusing on it. Not because we've been thinking about it. But because we have been saying, how much time can I give to my church? Where can I serve? What can I give financially? What can I do? What can I be praying about? Where can I put a level of faith? We're thinking about the vision. And I thank you that everything else will be taken care of. I thank you, Father, this morning for every person here, every person here that sacrificed to get here. Doesn't matter how close we live. Doesn't matter if we're single or if we have a family of five that we have to get dressed and ready. Everybody has sacrificed to be here this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you honor that You honor that sacrifice. You'll reward them. You'll redeem the time this week. I pray blessings over every person here in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.